0: I'm Matt, and I'm Jenna, we are Manna, and this is Food for Thought, a podcast dedicated to encourage and inspire you as you seek to grow your relationship with Christ and live out your Catholic faith. In today's episode, I talk about Pope Francis's most recent document and what we can all learn from it. weren't actually cooked in France, they were cooked in Greece. Yep, that just happened. Got 'em. Um It is, again, just me, Matt, here in studio today. Jenna is still battling some uh, colds in her home and getting their new home renovated, so please continue to pray for her and her family. But welcome to episode 41. We are so grateful that you are here. Um, we've got a cool topic that we're talking about today, but before we get into that, um share with you my Joy, uh, no, not Joy Junk Jesus, Peak Pit Plug. That's right. Um, the peak is, it is Holy Week, the week of weeks, the greatest week of the year in our liturgical calendar. Um, and I just love being able to, um, I don't know, just journey into the mysteries of this particular week in our church calendar. Um, I just really enjoy all the different liturgies and things like that. And so, uh, I want to encourage you, if you've never been to a Holy Thursday service, um, well, this is coming out on Easter Vigil. So, J.K., you should have gone in retrospect if you did not, <laughs> but hopefully you did. Um, anyway, if you're listening to this today, it comes out, you should go to the Great Easter Vigil Mass tonight at your parish and see all the new uh, candidates in catechumen get welcomed into your church who've been in RCIA um, this whole year. It's a really great mass, um, but happy Easter to all of you. Uh, so that is my peak. My pit... Um, I don't know, things have been pretty great. Well, my pit today is that our little girl Hannah, she is not wanting to take naps very readily. She's been kind of a screaming crazy mess today. So um, you might even hear that in the background at some point, at which case um, you can do what I'm doing and just ignore it. And my, don't worry, my wife is here. But pray for her that she may be a calm little bundle of joy. And then uh, my plug. Uh, My plug. I think now that the weather is getting nicer and warmer, um, getting outside, um, you know, it just does a whole lot for your your day like just being in a good mood and just getting some fresh air and I don't think we do it enough I don't think we value leisure time as much as we used to in our culture Um, and so I want to encourage you if you're listening to this right now on something that you can just pick up and go outside even if you're just sitting on your porch with a cup of coffee or you can actually go for a walk um, I want to encourage you to do that because um, it's probably a beautiful day and even if it's not you should So there's my really non convincing plug. You can clearly see that I um, am not in the field of advertising. But what I do want to advertise and market to you today is to uh, take a look at or read a little bit, learn a little bit more about. Pope Francis's most recent document. Now, I don't really um, follow news or anything like that. I kind of have decided on a permanent fast from most media outlets, but um, I haven't really heard too much on the things that I do look at, which are primarily Catholic, um, about this um, document that was written. Um, it was an um, apostolic exhortation, which we will talk about what that is, uh, by Pope Francis called Christus Vivit, meaning Christ is Alive. Um, And I think um, it's good for us to know or be a little bit familiar with. It is very long, and so I wouldn't expect anyone to sit down and read the whole thing, unless you're in like church leadership or ministry, which you should, especially with young people and young adults. Um, However, I think all these different documents that come out from popes and from our church, um, there's things we can learn about them. I think they're beneficial for us. And so I want to kind of give you a rough outline, a rough idea of what this is about and maybe talk about some lessons that any of us of any age can learn from the words of wisdom that are in it. But first, let's talk about what is this? Like, why do popes write documents, and what kind of documents do they write, Um, and things like that. And so, for the long time in the church, um, the church leadership, the bishops, um, cardinals, would meet in ecumenical councils. Meaning they would meet um, in different places in the world to talk about matters of faith, uh, matters of church teaching, um, to talk about uh, maybe new new evolutions of that, if new issues started to arise in the church or in the culture. Um, and they did that all the way from the beginning of the church, from the first century, um, all the way up until the very last one, um, not that it will be the last, but the most recent one, which was the Second Vatican Council, um, which um, occurred in the early 60s, I think from 1962 to 1965. Um, and so Pope John the Twenty Third called for this council. It was the first one since the late 1800s. Um, The first Vatican Council was then. And um, he wanted to throw open the windows and the doors of the church. Um, And a lot of changes happened in the church after this council. But I think it's important to note that um, councils don't always deal with doctrinal or church teaching change. So for instance, there are a lot of things that the church teaches that fall under doctrine or dogma, like things that are, these are teachings of the church that will never change or teachings that evolve. But these are, if you're, if you're were to ask, what does the church teach about this particular issue? What's its stance? Um, That might be a doctrinal answer. However, the ways that we worship the different maybe things that we abide by or things that we do different spiritual practices, different observations that we have as Catholics. Those are all practices And those can change all the time. Um, And a lot of these councils change practices. And the Second Vatican Council, as much changed in the Second Vatican Council, there was only one doctrinal change. And that was just that the bishops have the fullness of the priesthood. So it goes deacon, then priest, then bishop. The bishops have the fullness of the priesthood. Everything else, like the whole way mass changed, it used to be said in Latin um, with the priest facing um, the tabernacle, which was on the back wall. And all of us kind of going to hear mass was kind of the common way it was said, Um and it got changed to where mass was now all across the world. It was happening in some places already, but all across the world now could be said in the native language. Uh, the priest turned around and it was uh, celebrated more so as a, a communal meal around an altar. Um, and a lot of different changes in terms of the involvement of laypeople, non-priests in the church, as, you know, lectors, altar servers, as um, hired staff at parishes. All of that changed as a result of that council. And so um, before that, there would just be writings that would um, come from the Pope, maybe like a papal bull, like a declaration um, of some type of teaching or you know um, things like that would happen. But since then, in 1965, when the Second Vatican Council ended, Pope Paul VI, who had taken over um, when John XXIII died and continued the council, he wanted to establish a permanent Um, consultative body of bishops called the Synod of Bishops, and he wanted them to meet regularly on different matters of faith or pastoral practices. And so because of that, we may never again have a need for um, an ecumenical council. We may have one if there's some giant, huge cultural shift in the world or in the church again. Um, But because of that establishment, there have been synods meeting since 1967, and they generally meet about every three or four years. And if you go on Wikipedia, and you look up synod of bishops in the Catholic Church, you can see all the different synods that have met. Um, There have been 15 different uh, ordinary synods, uh, three extraordinary ones, um, which deal more so with like anniversaries or specific challenges. And then there have been um, about 11 special synods, which normally have to do with a particular place, like how the church is doing in a particular country or region. Um, And the reason I tell you that is because all documents now um, from the church like this one that we're looking at come out of some of these types of um, synods. And so this document, Christ is Alive, um, Christus Vive, is the resulting document from the most recent synod of the Catholic bishops. And so the 15th Ordinary General Synod happened in 2018, and it was on young people, faith and vocational discernment. And so bishops from all over the world gathered and they heard different testimonies. Different, um, they read from different. Um, what's called the Instrumentum Laboris, the working document, which was an assemblance of all these different surveys taken from all over the world. Different interviews. Different um, experts were consulted. And they can always elect to have lay people there. And at this conference, they or at this synod, they did. And so they had a group of representative youth. Um, and in you, youth in Europe means young adults primarily. So they had a group of young adults there um, representing the youth of the world um, to speak, to, um, to hear what was going on. Um, and there's a cool story about while they were meeting, um, you know, someone was speaking and one of these young adults from up in the rafters um, gave like a woo-woo-woo. Um, and Bishop Barron was talking about this at uh, his talk at the Religious Education Congress in um, this past month in March. And uh, and the Pope at one point um, went up there, up into the rafters to talk to the, these groups of young people that were there. Um, and all the bishops were down, all the bishops and cardinals were down in the main area, like wondering, oh, I wonder what he's saying to them. And come to find out later, um, Pope Francis went up there to obviously to welcome them, to encourage them, but specifically to tell them, keep going woo woo woo, which I think is awesome. It shows kind of his spirit and his joy when it comes to youth. And the whole spirit of that synod was to really focus on youth and young adults and really see how we can engage them in faith and vocational discernment, what they need, how the church can be more of a church for them. Um, And so it's, it's a really great document to look at for that reason but also to kind of look at what it speaks to in each one of our lives. And so this document is called an Apostolic Exhortation, and those documents most often come out of the result of a Synod of Bishops. Um, There are other types of documents. There's like an encyclical, Um, and so uh, Pope Francis has written an, an encyclical called Laudato Si, um, that's his only encyclical, I believe, and it was on care of the earth and the environment. I think it's the first encyclical of its kind on that particular topic. Um, but his three other major writings, this one, um, Amoris Laetitia and Evangelii Gaudium, were all the results of um, synods They came out. They're kind of the concluding documents of those synods. Um, Popes can also write letters um, where they might be announcing a certain act or um, a venerable person. Um, they obviously also can make like common declarations to talk about a particular teaching. They host audiences at um, the Vatican, general ones, where they talk about certain thematic teachings. So that's where we get the theology of the body from Pope uh, John Paul II. Or they can have private audiences with specific groups, uh, maybe with doctors and talk about ethics and health care. Um, the Pope can do what's called a discourse, where it's outside of a usual audience setting, but he's talking to a specific group of people, usually maybe upon arriving or leaving a specific place if he's traveling, um, or before or after a Mass. He can give a general message, um, you know, like his um, um, Sunday messages, or like the Angelus, um, things like that that happen on Sundays in the Vatican. Uh, he gives homilies, just like other priests. Um and, and then there can sometimes also be apostolic constitutions um, where this has to do with um, kind of a, a magisterial act, a matter of church teaching, um, or it might be rules for um, some type of formal aspect of like church hierarchical nature, like, you know, the election of a pope or something like that, changing someone's status, um, something like that. And then you might see the words on any of these documents, um, the words motu proprio, which means of one's own volition. So if a pope decides to just write something because he feels like it, that's called a motu proprio. Um, so it might be a um, an encyclical motu proprio. It could be a letter motu proprio. Um, but this document, Christus Vivit, is not that because it came out of this synod. So it was part of all this consultation, and he's pretty much expected to write something after any one of these gatherings. Um, So that gives you, I think, a good background as to why we have this document and what's in it. Um, And so what I want to do is just kind of give you a brief summary of what it entails, um, the different sections, and maybe some themes that we can take um, for our own. Um, So this document, it's addressed to young people, but also to the entire people of God. Um, It was signed on uh, March 25th of this year, 2019. Um, And then it came out um, online and translated into English um, about a week later, uh, April 2nd. And so um, it was inspired by the Reflections on the Synod. It is nine chapters divided into 299 paragraphs. So if any of you have obsessive compulsive disorder, you can write Pope Francis and ask why, why, why did you not make it and even 300? Um, but I want to go into just like, here's what each chapter is, and maybe just kind of a highlight from that chapter, tell you what paragraph it's in if you want to go read more about it, and then what we might learn from it as um, as people who should be reading these documents that the, the Pope and our church are, are writing to constantly try and keep up with Uh, what's going on in the world and in the culture um, of the world and of the church. And so the first chapter asks this question, what does the word of God have to say about young people? And you'll find this in a lot of documents. They always kind of turn back first to scripture um, or to um, any previous teachings or matters on the subject that they're talking about. So they turn to scripture and they look at young people in the Old Testament um, and in the New Testament. Um, specifically people like King David, Samuel, Ruth, um, the prophet Jeremiah, people like that, um, and shows how they're celebrated. And, um, and Jesus wants our hearts to be young like theirs. And this is the line that I really love from this particular chapter. Um, I think it's either in paragraph 13 or 17, my um, summary here that I have, it's not clearly notated, but uh, it says this, Let us also keep in mind that Jesus had no use for adults who looked down on the young or lorded it over them. Who man, Jesus had no use for adults who looked down on the young or lorded it over them. And that's where they go into Luke 22, where it says the greatest among you must be like the youngest. I think that's an important thing to remember. Because I think as we learn more about our faith or as we get more set in our ways with age, not just with faith, but with life, we can tend to look on people who don't have the experience um, or the wisdom that we might have, or maybe just the opinion that we have on certain matters as less than, or um, seek to belittle them or silence them, or um, look to younger people and say, oh, you know, you don't really have it figured out. Um, let Let me teach you, you know, this or that. There are certain people I know that if they encounter a young person or my youth group, you know, if they're walking by, they're going to stop and just start speaking about like their life or wisdom. And it's just like, you know, part of me is like, okay, I'm glad that you have this care. But sometimes they don't need that, and a lot of times they just need to be listened to, and show that you know there's value in what they think and and their conscious that's forming, and then offer that guidance when it's necessary. But um, so I think this is something, a reminder of what I've said before: every person you meet has something to teach you, even if they're less experienced, maybe in the workplace, even if they're younger than you, even if they're your kids, um, even if there's someone in your family that you disagree with. Um, Even if there's someone that you really just can't stand, um, either at school or at work or someone you encounter often, every single person has something to teach you. And so let's not lord over anyone, and especially in our church, not treat the youth or young people as less than or as people who need to learn more or that we need to just instruct. Um, We all need the saving love of Jesus Christ, and no one escapes that need ever. Um, a lot of people forget that need because they think that they've got everything figured out and that's far more a problem for older people than it is younger people in the church. Younger people are ripe and primed to ask questions, to grapple with them. And I see it on a daily basis and they may struggle sometimes feeling like they know more than they really do. Um, like they've got their whole life figured out at a young age, but they're quick to engage with new ideas. Um. Older people who tend to be more set in their ways aren't as quick to engage with new ideas or change or what they perceive as change or different from their upbringing. And the way the church teaches and invites people into relationship with Jesus Christ now is different than a generation ago and multiple generations ago. And so that's an important thing to remember. Um, we cannot get set in our ways and we have to remember every single person, even if they're younger than us, has something to teach us. So that's what Pope Francis highlights in... Chapter one, what the word of God has to say about young people. Chapter two talks about how Jesus is ever young. So still looking at scripture, but specifically the person of Jesus, highlighting this um, time where he's found in the temple at 12 years old, um, and talking about the fact that Jesus as a youth even was not self-absorbed. He was where he was supposed to be with the elders, conversing and things that mattered. Um... And these things shouldn't be ignored. This shouldn't just be some caveat in the upbringing of Jesus. And then we get to the good, important stuff when he does his public ministry. No, like this, these episodes of him when he is young um, are important. Um, So here's the line I really like from, um, from this, this particular section, this chapter. Let us ask the Lord to free the church from those who would make her grow old, encase her in the past, hold her back, or keep her at a standstill. Man, that is something that a lot of people I encounter need to hear. That's in uh, paragraph 35. Let us ask the Lord to free the church from those who would make her grow old, encase her in the past, hold her back or keep her at a standstill. You know, there's this kind of uh, trend in the church for some young people and, and a lot of older people to be what's called trad cats, traditional Catholics. And I don't, I don't think there's anything um, you know, bad about that, but I think some of them do tend to have an attitude that their way is better than the direction that the church is going now. And Pope Francis is saying right here that no, that is not true. The Holy Spirit is ever-changing, ever-guiding the church forward, and not causing it to be encased in the past or grow old. And so there are things to learn from change. And so if you're older and you remember the church the way it used to be, the church needs you. It needs you to bring that wisdom and see what are the good things that have come about in what's happened since then and to allow you to be softer and more of an advocate for that change. And then it says later on in um, paragraph 37 in this chapter, uh, the church can be tempted to lose her enthusiasm and revert to seeking a false worldly form of security Young people can help keep her young. So if you're young and you're listening to this, if you're a young adult or a youth, Pope Francis is saying the church needs you. The church needs you to speak up. The church needs you to, to you know email the pastor and say, hey, do you, have, do you have a council that I can be on as a youth representative? Um, you know, because I'd really like to be a voice for, um, for my generation of what this church needs, because there's a lot of programs and a lot of stuff going on here, but it's all for the older people and they might all be great, but there's nothing here for me or what's here for me isn't working or what's, what's here for me is good, but we also need this. Um, We need a mass that looks like us. We need a mass where we can help with everything, where we can have music that we know, that we like to worship to, um, and maybe mixed with some of the great, beautiful, rich, traditional music of the church that's done well, and that's done in a way that engages young people. We need homilies that speak to the issues of youth and young adults, um, and not just older people or not just uh, families. I mean, we need everyone to be addressed. And so um, to be that voice for change and that advocate, no matter what your age, to recognize if we don't build a home for young people in our churches by addressing them specifically and meeting their needs specifically, they'll find another one. There's plenty of homes of different denominations and different names all over. They will find one and a lot of those places are a whole lot better at looking appealing and marketing to them and making them feel welcome. And even though we have this rich kernel of truth in the Catholic faith, we cannot bury it under uh, a regimented way of being. um, And we cannot bury it under um, just being stuck in the same thing. You know, Um, if anyone ever says to you in any avenue of life, uh, when you ask, why do we do this? And they say, because we've always done it. That is the worst possible answer they could give, (laughs) and that is not a reason ever to keep doing anything. It might make things easier and more convenient, but never, never are are twice the same circumstances present with the same people to where you would need to do the exact same thing over and over and over again. Things should always be adapting and changing to meet the needs um, of whoever you're serving, whoever you're talking to. So that's a highlight from um, chapter two, chapter three, um, Pope Francis titles, you are the now of God, talking about God's present role in the church being realized in the role of young people. He says in one of the first paragraphs, 64, we cannot just say that young people are the future of our world. They are its present. Even now they are helping to enrich it. So if you're young, don't, you're not the future of the church. You're the young church today. Um, I love what he says in paragraph 67. Uh, Each young person's heart should thus be considered holy ground. Each person's heart should thus be considered holy ground. Because he says earlier, adults can often be tempted to list all the problems and failings of today's young people. And that's what I was talking about earlier, that it cannot be lorded over the youth for their, their youth. Um, Even if, you know, there's more experience or things like that, every generation is different. And those adults who do that, if they were honest with themselves, they'll probably remember adults when they were young saying similar things about them and their culture. Um, It's just something that happens by virtue of change in generations. And so um, I think what we can learn for this is not to pass pass others off. And to take that line, each young person's heart should thus be considered holy ground and just take that for ourselves as each person's heart should be considered holy ground. That we're constantly walking on holy ground every single day in our interactions with people. And there are people all around us who are quietly hurting, quietly desiring something more, quietly struggling with darkness or loneliness. And we're being called to be put in their path, um, to call them into a deeper relationship or a deeper sense of purpose or joy. Um, You know, God calls Catholic people out into the world to be regular jobs, engineers, uh, doctors, lawyers, police officers, artists, um, you know, coffee shop workers, waitresses, um, you know, uh, carpenters, all these different things so that we can speak the truth of who he is into those ordinary places of life, places that are not the four walls of the church, but where the church is alive because we are there. Um, But we can very often just quelch those opportunities if we don't recognize that every person's heart is a privilege for us to encounter uh, and to really try and just lead that heart a little bit closer to to Christ's own heart. Um, And so Pope Francis talks a lot about all these longings that people have and the complications of being in a digital world. Um, And how that deals with, you know, being migrants in Western culture, either digitally or especially in his context, dealing a lot with immigration and in the Latin countries where he ministered. Um, And he also talks about um, child abuse and the sex abuse scandal and all these different issues that cause that longing, that desire for more um, to kind of be buried and for us not to be treated like our hearts are holy ground. Um, But what I love in this chapter as well In paragraph 101, he says, But the church does not resort to any cosmetic surgery. She is not afraid to reveal the sins of her members. And I've said this before many times, but I think we need to remember to wear our weaknesses and not bury them, Um, to receive them and to recognize they are a constant need or a constant reminder of our need for Jesus. We will never get to a point on this earth or in the next, you know, after this earth, after death, where we will not need Jesus. And so we need to recognize we perpetually make mistakes and we need him. Um, so that's chapter three, chapter four, a great message for all young people. Um, Pope Francis gets right to the point here and talks about God is love. Christ saves you and he is alive. And that's the message that he wants them to know. And I think that's just a message that I want you to know: that God loves you and that Christ saved you. I mean, what a great time to remember that, then going into the Easter season. And he is alive in this period of resurrection, celebrating that. Rejoice in that life. In chapter five, he talks about the paths of use, of use, of youth, the paths of youth. And my favorite line in this, I love that Pope Francis has instituted new lines that are new words into encyclicals that have never been used before. So for instance, in Evangelii Gaudium, he used the word pusses, which is hilarious to me that that's in an encyclical or in an exhortation. Um, and so in this one, he does it again. Um, he invites um, young people to put down their screens to not live life as tourists, but he says to them, make a ruckus, cast out the fears that paralyze you live. And I think this is something for all of us to learn. We need to be more alive and dangerous in our faith. It's very easy to get comfortable, to get lazy in our faith, to just go through the routine, especially being Catholics with the whole sit, stand, kneel routine of mass and the routines of different prayer practices we have of, you know, liturgy of the hours and the rosary and daily devotions. It can be very easy to fall into a a period of just normalcy and routine, but we can't do that. Um, chapter six, young people with roots. Um, and this says that, you know, we need to be recognizing, um, that young people are looking for a place to belong and that they can look to, he encourages them to look to the elderly and to um, hear their wisdom, and to value it, and to not pass them over. Um, And I think the art of mentoring is something we don't do well in Catholicism. Um, Whether you realize it or not, there's always someone you're following, someone who's following you, and someone that you're walking with on whatever path in life you're taking. And so the person you're following, it might just be the people you're around the most. Or maybe um, celebrities, if you're just kind of on Twitter or social media a lot, or influencers. Uh, people who are following you, you may not even realizing, be realizing they're looking to you, but they're watching you. Uh, definitely your kids, but maybe also younger people or even older people in the workplace who recognize you might have skills or talents that they don't. Uh, and people walking with you, or at least trying to, your family, your friends, the people close to you. I think if we're more intentional and intentional, why can't I talk intentional about being aware of who those people are or who we would like them to be? The journey of life is that much more fruitful. And we can really be intentional about expressing our need and our desires to the person that we're following to be formed by them, to share our weaknesses and joys with the people that we're walking with in moments of vulnerability. And to really intentionally reach out to the people who are following us and encourage them and not keep knowledge of things that we've learned in the workplace or in the faith to ourselves. Because we want that little kernel of wisdom to ourselves so we can kind of drop it later and get a little bit of a pat on the back for ourselves. But to really share all the goodness of what we've learned um, with people that need to know. Um, chapter seven talks specifically about youth ministry. Um, and in paragraph 213, um, basically says that, you know, everything that we do, any project path of growth for young people, it must be centered on the kerygma, the gospel message that only through an encounter with God, through Jesus' death and resurrection, can we grow in fraternal love, uh, community life and service. Um, do you know that in your life? Do you know what the gospel message is? Do you know how to articulate that to someone? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means that God is love and he created me out of love to be in a relationship with him. But I break that relationship by my sin and all humans do. But the beautiful gift is that Jesus came to reconcile us with God by offering himself on the cross for the consequences of our sins. And he invites me into relationship with him to trust him and sends the Holy Spirit into my life and through the church to nourish me and guide me through the sacraments and as a person on mission to tell others about that great message. That's the charisma. Can you articulate that to someone else? And can you articulate how God has done that in your own life? Can you give your testimony? Can you share with someone, here's who I used to be, here's then what God did in my life, and here's how I am now. And this is why I wanna tell you this. He encourages, um, you know, that we need to have a church with open doors using that same language of the Second Vatican Council in paragraph 234 says um, we someone does not need to accept fully all the teachings of the church to take part in certain uh, um, in certain of our activities for young people that we cannot be caught up in regimentalism. And saying, okay, this is everything you have to know. This is everything you have to believe. And if you don't, you're going to get chastised or there's going to be an argument about it or a heated debate. And I see this at church events sometimes or when I'm speaking on things. And people all have, you know, a more conservative idea of what I said or a more liberal idea of what I said. And it's more so just recognizing that gospel message and how it's realized as Catholics in the church that he established for us to continue to grow in his grace and a relationship with him. And all the other things, yes, they're important. I'm not saying we should set them aside and they're less important. But they're really not meant to be means of division or exclusion. That everyone is welcome, regardless of whether they know all the teachings or hold fast to all of them. That we need to have a church with open doors. Um, Chapter 8, then... Um, is about vocations. And this is the other aspect that the conference dealt with is discerning vocations. And what I find interesting here is that Pope Francis talks a little bit about human sexuality here um, and the ability to create life and to love. And I was thinking about that and thinking about like, wow, like humans, we have the ability to create life of our own free will and volition whenever we want, really, you know, if they're just two consenting individuals, like not talking about what the church teaches right now, but just like in general, That ability is open and what a huge responsibility that is. And if you think about the gravity of that, shouldn't we know everything that we should and and could possibly know about what that could look like before we enter into any vocation that either says we're going to do this or we're not going to do this. If you're taking a vow of celibacy or you're entering into marriage with someone or you're, you know, a a chaste single person whatever it might be. Um, And he follows that up in in paragraph 276 saying, um, the the vocation to special consecration in discerning your vocation, do not dismiss the possibility of devoting yourself to God. And I think he's talking about being a consecrated religious here, but I think every single one of us in any vocation, we devote ourselves to God. Him first and foremost. It's not about the vocation that fulfills us or the people that that we marry or that we're in a religious community with that fulfill us but it's about the fact that God alone does and to remember that. And then the last chapter is on discernment. Um, Pope Francis says, without the wisdom of discernment, we can easily become prey to every passing trend in paragraph 279. I see this a lot inside and outside of the church. Trendiness, like, you know, it's, uh, I have kind of a thing where like, you know, um, there's a certain group of Catholic people that all look the same. They wear the same color palettes. They all have the same type of style. Um, same outfits, you know, and I, I I, don't belittle or but I just kind of like I point it out sometimes because I think it's amusing. And I think that, um, yes, there's this beauty in recognizing how we can express one another, how can we can, and express ourselves in beautiful ways and being inspired by other people to do that. But I think the important thing is always to be authentically yourself. We don't need two, two versions of any one person, God created you to be your own version of your own person, and nobody else can do that and to remember that, to not waste that real gift. And so I want to encourage you, um, you can find the whole um, 299 paragraphs of this document online on the Vatican website and in many other places and in many languages um, to read it. Um, And so I want to highlight one saint in particular, I already mentioned him, but Pope Paul VI, he was the one that started this whole synod um, of bishops. and. He lived from 1897 to 1978, um, and he was the Pope um, and resided over Vatican City from um, 1963 to his death in 1978. Uh, So for 15 years, he was Pope. And he um, took over for the Second Vatican Council um, and was really instrumental, as I said, in establishing this, this Synod of Bishops to meet regularly. And one of the first times they did meet um, was on uh, the human person, and out of that came the controversial encyclical uh, in 1968, Humanae Vitae, that Pope Paul VI wrote, all about contraception, birth control, human sexuality, and that still, um, they invited a lot of lay experts and people into that conference, and they all said a lot of things that were leaning toward the secular, and his exhortation, was very prophetic and said, if we do a lot of those things that were suggested, um, this is what's going to happen. And we, we saw five years later uh, when Roe v. Wade was passed and the legalization of abortion and the more prevalent um, use of the birth control um, contraception pill, that um, a lot of the things he said would happen did happen. And so I want to encourage you to maybe go and read that particular document as well to learn a little bit um, about him. Um, but he was raised, um, in Italy. Um, his father was a lawyer, journalist, um, a Catholic action director, if you're familiar with that movement. Um, and his mother was from rural nobility. Um, he had two brothers, um, who, um, became a doctor and a lawyer. And so naturally he was the priest, um, in that Holy Trinity of coveted jobs when you, um, had young, young men, um, that you were raising at that time. Um, so in 1916, uh, he entered the seminary, and so he would have been about 19 years old at the time. Um, and he continued his studies um, after he uh, became a priest in 1920, continued his studies and got a doctorate in canon law. Um, that same year, he celebrated his first mass. So he was um, a really smart guy, a notable scholar. Um, and so when he became pope, um He, as I said, established that Synod of Bishops. Um, That's probably his most famous encyclical, the Humanae Vitae, um, the one that I mentioned. Um, and he, um, as I said, finished out that Second Vatican Council. Um, and there were a ton of documents that resulted from that. Um, four dogmatic constitutions, a bunch of apostolic letters and decrees um, on all different aspects of church teaching, on interreligious dialogue and, um, and the ecumenical nature of the church. Um, he did a lot of foreign traveling. Um, he was the first pope to visit six continents. Um, and so he had the nickname the Pilgrim Pope. Um, and so actually, and now that I say that, I feel like we've highlighted this dude before in a previous episode. Yep, we did. Episode 31 when we talked about NFP. That's why this sounds so familiar. So if you want to learn a little bit more about him, you should go back and listen to that episode. That was my bad. But, um, he also had a great devotion to Mary, which I'm not sure we talked about in that particular episode. But, um, it's because of him that we have this document because he... Um, started that whole synod process of bishops. Um, So we ask for Pope uh, Saint Paul VI's continual intercession for us as we seek to grow in our relationship with Christ, live out our Catholic faith, and learn more and more about what the church offers us each and every day, uh, especially with the different things that they publish that we may not even realize come out on a regular basis. All these different homilies and audiences of Pope Francis, there's something coming out probably at least once a week. So, um, you know, maybe follow Pope Francis on Twitter or the Vatican um, on their website, which is a really terribly designed website, but um, looks like really old parchment, uh, not very visually pleasing. But I'm sure you can find some great stuff on there. So I want to encourage you to share this episode with anyone you think might benefit from it. Read that document, um, Christus Vivi, Christ is Alive, and remember that this Easter season. Happy Easter. He is risen. We hope to be seeing you soon. Know that we are praying for you and we will see you in the Eucharist. Bye.